Welcome to this special edition of the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Richmond, and today we're going to tackle the subject of career goals and career placement and how much the admissions team tends to work in tandem with the career services office at leading business schools. As I often like to do for these sorts of big picture topics, I've invited some guests along to help take part and to ensure I don't get anything wrong. Um, in this instance, I've purposely gone to two individuals at a business school that is forging new ground in this domain. So I'm going to be joined shortly by Lisa Tran and Jason Reif from the SMU Cox School of Business. But first, let me just provide a little bit of background on our guests. Um, so we'll start with Lisa. She is the Managing Director of Corporate Engagement and Strategic Partnerships at the SMU Cox School of Business. And she has an undergraduate business degree from SMU, as well as a master's in higher education administration from the University of North Texas. And she's currently pursuing a doctor of education at SMU's Simmons School of Education and Human Development. She's also worked at Harvard Business School, J.C. Penney, and Neiman Marcus prior to coming to SMU. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, Graham. The pleasure is mine. Um, Jason, who's going to be joining us as well, is the Senior Assistant Dean of the Career Management Center and Graduate Admissions at SMU's Cox School of Business. He has a BBA from Texas Tech and an MBA from Duke's Fuqua School of Business. He's worked for John Deere, McKinsey, and while he was at those organizations, he was actually very involved in the MBA recruiting process. Uh, he made the jump to higher ed with the University of Florida, working in their MBA careers office, which he eventually um, led uh, before coming over to SMU Cox. So welcome, Jason. Thanks so much, Graham. Looking forward to chatting today. Yeah, as am I. Um, so I, you know, I kind of ran through both of your backgrounds, but I wondered if you would each be willing to shed a little bit more light on sort of the nature of your current role um, specifically. So let's start with you, Lisa. How would you describe what you currently do at SMU Cox? Thanks, Graham. Um, so I know my title is a little long, <laughs> um, but in short, it, I'm the quarterback of corporate relationships. So thinking about how to connect with companies to the Cox School, um, so whether they want to recruit our students or send some of their employees to help retain and develop their talent. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, what I do. I, I connect with companies and figure out um, what the next steps are in the engagement process. Got it. How about you, Jason? So my teams uh, break down into two areas. One is the admissions and the other is the career management center. So in essence, we're responsible for getting students into the program and then out on the back end. So on the graduate admissions side, we have our MBA programs, both full-time and working professional, and then our master's of science in accounting, business analytics, finance, and management. Um, the Career Management Center side breaks down into sort of the preparation and opportunity. Uh, on the preparation side, that is all the career coaching for both our undergraduate and graduate business students. So everything that they need to do to understand how to articulate their value proposition to companies and showcase how they're going to specifically drive impact and help those firms solve their problems. And then on the opportunity side, uh, liaising directly with the companies, uh, helping to bring them on campus to set up information sessions, coffee chats, career fairs, on-campus interviewing, uh, everything that uh, you would think would go into getting the students in front of the companies so they can have the opportunity to tell their stories. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so as we dive in here, I thought a good place to start with our conversation would be 
to just better understand why it's so important for business school applicants to outline their goals when they're going through the application process. And I know, you know, our listeners, many of them are applying to school or going to be. And so there's, you know, they're, they're often kind of bombarded with these questions around, well, what are your goals? You know, what do you want to do in the short term? And, and so why do these goals matter? And, you know, couldn't a student just show up at business school and sort of like figure out what they want to do later on? Um, like, why is it so important? So Lisa, let's start with you. What's your take on this one? Yes. Um, well, I'm kind of chuckling to myself because companies, even before students arrive, are already thinking about how they can get in front of them. <laughs> um, so if, if students are thinking about what they want to do after they get here, um, unfortunately, it makes my job a little bit uh, harder. Uh, not to say that we can't help guide them through the process, but you know, as I mentioned before, uh, my job is to connect with companies, and companies are looking to connect with us mm-hmm. um, to think about how to build their their uh, pipeline of talent. And it's easier for students to explore before they get here. Um, and then, you know, we have resources for students to, to help walk them through that, um, that thought process. But um, thinking about it and speaking to individuals before they get here about what would it be like if I'm looking to transition from one career to the next. Um, and that's where my job comes into play. Uh, you know, we have a lot of alumni. We have a lot of corporate partners to help um, students really talk about what a career would look like in their field or even with that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why it makes it a little bit easier. And I'm sure it makes uh, Jason's job a little bit easier too, when students are really thinking about um, what they plan to do next and why an MBA would be relevant to their career journey. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Jason, yeah. Do you want to add to this one? Sure. I, I As Lisa was talking, I started thinking about uh, a number of years ago when I did my MBA, being there at orientation and having the faculty and the student services teams come out and talk about all the wonderful opportunities in front of us. The world was our oyster. We need to open up our aperture and uh, you know take a variety of different classes, get involved in global trips and all these other uh, experiential learning aspects, and really just take the time to explore. Mm-hmm. Well, then the career team walked out on stage and said, you know, all of that's great. But you have companies that'll be on campus in the next two weeks. Uh, you have the professional career fairs that are starting, so you need to get involved in one of the clubs and really start the training process. Uh, so get moving. And since then, it's gotten even faster. Uh, it's it's funny. We uh, we talk to companies all the time, and I, I used to joke with them about, all right, when are you going to start going to the high schools? Well, about six months ago, I had a conversation with a consulting firm that said, we are actually going into high schools now, specifically math classes, to uh, to try and identify some of that, that early talent. Wow. And we're seeing so many freshman and sophomore programs for the undergrads. And the MBAs are no different. Uh, with many of these pre-MBA programs, uh, we're, we partner with Forte and Jumpstart, for example, you are getting opportunities to get in front of the companies in the spring before you start, uh, typically late summer for most programs. Um, they are not only you know showcasing their firms and giving you opportunities to help understand, quote unquote, what consulting or banking or brand management is, but you are getting the opportunity to interview for internships. And you could well find yourself in a position where you come back with an offer before you've even sat in your first class. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, um, it, you know, it really is, I, I agree, having done an MBA 
quite some time ago. Um, it, it really is interesting how this has shifted to where, you know, companies are, they're interested earlier and earlier. As you say, there's kind of this war for talent. Um, but let's, let's get into the weeds here on the goals side of things. So what would you describe as kind of common characteristics of a good set of career goals for a, you know, prospective MBA? And like, do they need to be highly specific? Do they need to be feasible, um, related to one's, you know, past experiences? And what's the level of like, do, do candidates need to know both a short-term kind of post-MBA plan as well as a five years out type of plan? So, so Jason, I'll turn to you on this one since we're, um, this is kind of in your, in your wheelhouse, but yeah, what do you think of that? What are, what are the common characteristics of a good set of career goals? You know, we get this question a lot in um, our sessions that we'll hold for the program. Students ask, what, what can I do to prepare? Prepare? How specific do I need to be? And so many do it well, and, and we see a significant number who don't. What I tell students is, I like to see a zip code and not necessarily a street address. Mm -hmm. And it, what that means is you need to have put some thought and research into the MBA career fields and have some idea of what you want to do. And it does not have to align with your background because the MBA is a career switcher degree, uh, almost more so than, than anything else. We have students with all sorts of backgrounds, whether it be you know, traditional corporate or private sector. We have teachers. We have military. We have you know nonprofit, Peace Corps. You name it. They're all moving into other fields, uh, particularly within full-time programs. However, you, there's a wealth of information out there where you can see what it takes to get into some of the major MBA career fields, whether it's brand management, strategy consulting, investment banking, uh, you know, private equity, real estate, you, you name it. There is a wealth of information out there that you can find on sites such as yours or um, you know, any number of blogs or you know, YouTube videos. You can get days in the life. Lots of resources out there. So I want to see that you've taken some amount of time to understand this world of MBA recruiting, put a little bit of thought into how some of your skills may translate into what they're looking for in those positions and, and be able to articulate that uh, in an interview and in an essay setting. As far as the short versus the long-term goals, Again, the story just needs to make sense. We're, we're not going to come back to you 10 or 15 years after graduation and say, you remember what you wrote in your essay or you told us in your interview that uh, you wanted to launch your first company within five years? Well, it's, it's been over five and we see you still haven't launched that. <laughs> no, no one's going to do that to you, but we want to see... Are, are you thoughtful? Can you connect the dots from where you've been to where it is that you want to go? And we're essentially looking for, can we help you get there in the one to two years that you're going to be in, our, in one of our programs? Um, in terms of overall goals and feasibility, for me, feasibility breaks down into a couple of things of, you know, are your priorities aligned in such a way to where it makes sense with that business? Because if we're talking to you and we say, you know, what do you really care about? What's most important to you? And if we start hearing a whole lot about work-life balance and you've told us your primary goals are investment banking and strategy consulting, well, those two don't necessarily go hand in hand. <laughs> so you, you haven't really showcased that you've done a lot of research to understand what that is. And, and that gives us pause. Right. Because again, the, the career search is so fast that we have to ascertain, can we help you get where you want to be in the, the time that we have to work with you? Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. So I feel like, okay, we have a good understanding of the importance of career goals and even, you know, some of the characteristics of, of strong goals for the admissions process and, and for, you know, kind of arriving at school ready to roll. Um, but can you speak a little bit about 
how admissions offices have traditionally gone about vetting these goals and to what extent they rely on their peers in the career services office. Um, because I know both of those offices are under your purview, which is you know kind of part of the reason why we brought you on the show today to talk about this. But I, I really, yeah, how has it traditionally been done? Because I, you know when I worked in admissions, we didn't deal much. Um, I was at Wharton in admissions. We didn't deal too much with career services. <laughs> yeah, Graham, your, your experience is not unique um, in that there typically are siloed when you look between the two. I, I think they... They can work together and they can collaborate in most schools, but typically the interaction is not at the student level. What you'll find is the admissions team will come to career and say, okay, what's going on in the market? What are the macro level trends that you see going on right now? Um, you know, are you seeing a pivot from traditional oil and gas energy, for example, to, to tech? Um, okay, great. So we're looking for people that have goals in that area. How are you finding placement going in banking versus consulting versus brand versus supply chain? Okay, great. Because students ask us about that in our admissions interviews, so we want to be able to speak to that intelligently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do you see going on in the marketplace as far as geographic distribution? Are people staying in Dallas? Are they going you know elsewhere in the U.S. or globally? They're, they're getting those macro level trends and inputs, and ideally, they're also getting like, what do you like to see? What are companies looking for? So the the career center is relaying that to an admissions team. And then admissions team hopefully is integrating that into their um, interviews, into their essay structure. But what you don't typically get is a case-by-case, student-by-student assessment from an admissions lens and from a career lens to say, is this student holistically going to be successful in the program? in terms of academics, in terms of student life and contributing to his or her classmates, and in the career outcomes on the back end. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I still remember, you know, there were candidates that we would admit when I worked in admissions where we kind of knew we were taking a little bit of a risk when it came to their goals. They had kind of, you know, I wouldn't say oddball, but just, just you know, kind of goals that were a little bit more out there, less traditional or something. And then I would remember like later, you know, when, when these candidates would land at the career services office, kind of, you know, you get sort of the cold shoulder from the career team. Like, why did you guys, <laughs> you know, why did you guys admit this person? How, what are we going to do with this person? And why weren't we consulted? Um, so there was definitely some of that going on. Um, but tell me, you know, I, again, I'd love to hear how you all do it because I recognize that you're leading both of these offices. Um, and so let's, yeah, like, what is the SMU Cox approach here? How does it differ? Um, cause that's really why, you know, we're talking today. I really want to like delve into this cause it's so innovative. Um, but yeah, maybe Lisa, do you want to chime in on this? Cause I know you have, you have a point of view here. Yes. Um, so I, I guess one piece about my background that I, I failed to mention, I used to be in Jason's role. Um, I used to lead the career management center here at Cox and what you were just talking about, um, and what Jason is now leading, uh, is really great. Being able to see the candidate from the very beginning and then through the process and then helping them, um, through their career journey once they graduate. Um, So if I may kind of talk about how we approach it from a partnership standpoint, so internally um, with the Career Management Center as well as the admissions office, Mm -hmm. and then the other piece is the the corporate partnerships. Um, We view, you know, that our partnership um, with companies and with students, we like to call ourselves the talent partner from a holistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So a talent partner with students 
obviously from the perspective of where their career journey and their career goals are during their MBA um, experience and the, maybe their internship experience between their um, first and second year but, and then beyond. Um, and then once they graduate, they come back and they recruit our students. That's the best, uh, you know, 360 degree uh, view that we like to take. And then um, also from a curriculum building standpoint, we want to make sure that companies understand um, that we understand what companies are wanting from our students, mm. um, whether that be uh, from a technical skills perspective, um, the nuts and bolts of the classes that they're taking, um, and then really from soft skills. So uh, just to give a brief background on a d- group of discussions that we did oh, you know, about three years ago, um, in the fall of 2018, we started um, laying the foundation of what our next generation curriculum would look like. And from those conversations um, with companies, it's how do you create an environment where students can fail mm-hmm. um, while they're in the program, fail quickly, and then pick themselves up and, and move forward. Uh, so from those discussions, it was really resilience. How do we create an environment for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then our foundational pillars of the new curriculum is around leadership um, analytics and experiential learning. And again, it's the approach of partnering with students um, and the partnering with companies to be, uh, you know, in lockstep with their, you know, recruiting and, and career development process. Yeah, I, I love this sort of integration, you know, like sort of really seeing this holistically as you described it. Um, Jason, I, I want to, not devil's advocate, I guess, but I want to I want to give some, you know, in my experience, there are some programs out there, some business schools who have a career services colleague occasionally take part in the admissions process. And they'll often tout this, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, we have, there is a representative from careers who comes over and checks in on, you know, the committee meetings and and helps us to think about candidates' goals, um, that sort of thing. Um, but tell me why it is that the way you all are doing things at SMU Cox is sort of superior to this method of, you know, sort of dipping in and out. It's a great question. And the the way I like to break this down is there are two primary benefits to involving career in the admissions process. The first is assessment, and the second is strengthening the relationship and support from career for the student. So what you just mentioned is the person occasionally coming over and taking a look at a candidate here and there and assessing the goals. That'll happen more often than not. That happens on the marginal candidates, where somebody comes in and say, "Wow, well, you know, we we think this one's high risk career. Do you want to come in and take a look at this? And and do you feel okay? Yes or no? Right. Um, so so that'll happen on the margins. Having career fully integrated from an assessment standpoint means they're not just hearing it secondhand from an admissions interviewer. They're actually there in the interview with the student and they can get a much better read on that person's, you know, thoughtfulness of answers. How locked in are they on a particular goal or is there some amount of flexibility? Um, You know, for example, you can say, well, this person's coming in and they say, well, number one is uh, private equity venture capital for them. And they said they might consider consulting. Well, if you get that relayed secondhand from um, somebody on the admissions team, if you're in career, that may 
be a very different experience than if you're actually in the room on the candidate and say, well, tell me more about your interest in consulting. What makes you curious about that? Well, you know, I have a friend of mine who works for Bain here, yeah, this, this, and this, but I'm concerned about it because I feel that it's not going to help me do this. Well, then the career person has the expertise on the call to be able to say, well, that that's not a barrier or a deal breaker for that person. And it probably may be that uh, he or she will do better in consulting as a plan A. So we can get a better sense on the call of that candidate's goals, uh, whether it's going to be viable or not, if, if their expectations are very realistic. And it gives us a chance to, you know, as, as individuals on the career side that train interviewing, we can get that firsthand look at the candidate's interview skills and say, okay, what are we working with here? Are we taking somebody from an eight to a 10 or are we having someone that's starting at a three that uh, we're, we're really going to have to do a significant amount of work on? So having that firsthand knowledge can give us a lot more confidence in our answer to say, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. The, the next phase, and what you don't really get at all from that sort of touch-and-go approach that, that you discussed, is establishing the relationship with the student. I think one of the most beneficial aspects of this is creating that connectivity and trust. For a career coach to work effectively with a student, there has to be mutual trust. Mm. They have to have the expectations set. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. You know, I don't have a drawer full of jobs that I can reach in and give you and hand you this. You're actually going to have to work for it, student. And then from the student's side, yes, here's the coach's accessibility. Here's what they know about that particular space. And so they're willing to come in and see them. By creating that relationship early on, in the interview process, you're getting a jump start on the career coaching. So it creates that that trust earlier. It creates that stickiness to the program in terms of yield. And it allows the coach to potentially start planting a seed in the candidate's mind of things that he or she can do to pursue plan A, uh, maybe some other items for plan B and plan C that uh, could be viable, and potentially even identifying some other resources that we can do to help them right out of the gate. Uh, so if I have a candidate that I talk through in the admissions process that uh, lays out a plan for me and has a background similar to another student I've coached in the past, I can connect those two and let them already start talking, right? So I've got an alum or I've got a second year student who is perfectly matched to this student mm -hmm. because I've helped coach them. Yeah. And that, that is just a great way to show the student that SMU Cox really takes career seriously, that uh, the coach is going to be an engaged and involved support uh, network throughout the entire time. And it, it helps us yield the students that we really want to get in the program. And it helps us be more effective faster in our coaching. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's just a really great um, service to be providing to the candidates because you're getting them kind of really ramped up and, you know, just, uh, gosh, they're going to be so much more effective at the recruiting process. And I want to, Lisa, if you don't mind, I want to put you on the spot and ask, like, you know, you have these relationships with the corporate recruiters. Um, as you said, you're kind of the quarterback when it comes to all these different partnerships and things. Um, I mean, you must hear feedback from these companies about how the SMU Cox grads or, or students are, are just so so ready for the process and positioned and kind of know what they want and probably in ways that I would assume is not happening at, at other schools. Yeah, and I, I think that's a testament to what Jason was talking about, um, the process of really being that partner from when students are even 
as a prospective student. Um, So yes, those are the conversations that we have and it makes my job a little bit easier and that's why they come back. And it's not, you know, of course we're putting um, students in in really great positions to be successful once they graduate in their first goal, uh, their first role after they graduate with a Cox MBA. Um, But we like to think that we connected them very early with the corporate community, um, with alumni who are already in those roles, so they come back. And I think that is, again, um, you know, what makes the world go round here at the at the Cox School. So it, it, that's definitely, you know, what we like to see from a long-term perspective um, and what we like to call, you know, an ally for life uh, once they're a student here and they have a really great experience and they can see the value of their MBA and they come back and recruit our students. That's a win-win situation. Yeah. And I can say, um, you know, just from watching the behavior of people on, you know, the ClearAdmit website, all these prospective students, as soon as they get in, they're already starting to think about, you know, pre-MBA internships or, and this is something that's changed over the years. You know, there's just that much more of a focus on this stuff. So I feel like it's not only helpful for the student that you all are doing this, but it just feels like you're also meeting what I think is a market need. And I know there's some MBA programs out there who are sort of like, wait, you're a prospective. We're not going to have you talk to careers yet. You can't take up their time. Whereas it sounds like you guys are doing, you know, the opposite of really embracing that and, and getting people into the process, as you said, before they even show up. Um, Jason, along those lines, could you sort of walk us through the careers process at SMU Cox? I mean, you know, you talked about an orientation earlier in this conversation where, you know, when you were in business school where, you know, the the folks come out and tout all the electives and all the things you can do on campus. And then the careers folks come out and say, well, you know, people are coming to recruit you. So we got to get you lined up now um, for jobs. But obviously things are happening in a very different way at SMU Cox. So do you want to just walk us through the kind of, you know, how do you help these students, you know, develop their goals further and just get through the process of, of getting a job? Happy to. Um, and Honestly, it, it, it goes into the, the word that you just mentioned at the beginning is time. You know, the time is the challenge. So the, the barrier for a lot of programs to do this is how much time can the career team actually devote to supporting admissions? Uh, and, and my belief in, in having done this for a little while now is that the, the time that you invest on the front end of this, you will get back. And by working with students early, and that process starts with, um, you know, goal discernment. We have a number of toolkits that uh, and assessments that students will go through to say, you know, here's what my priorities are. Here's where I feel I'm at my best. Um, and that helps the coach identify some early opportunities. I mentioned earlier connecting with alumni. That's something that we love to do is to have students go and, and have a conversation with people in, in multiple fields and then come back to us and say, well, that one sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the second one, not quite sure about. I need to have another conversation. And then the third item, I'm going to go jump off a bridge if I have to do that every day. <laughs> so you know, let, let's, let's rule that out. Right. And it's very important in the process to, to rule things out uh, almost as important it is to rule them in because, as you know, a number of these fields require a significant amount of time investment in preparation, whether it's case interviewing, uh, you know, technical skills for some of the finance roles, networking that you've got to do for um, you know, banking and PE. If, if we can rule that out as opposed to having a student go through it for several months and say, well, I thought this is what I'm going to do. I put all this time and effort into it. And now once I really know what it is, it's not a fit. We, we don't want to have that happen. So mm-hmm. as I said earlier, when, when you are investing that time on the front end, it's time well spent. 
uh, because some of the most challenging situations are those in which students come to us late uh, and they, they've either changed their mind or they haven't engaged with us as much as they're supposed to. And in some cases, they've missed the boat on a number of, of recruiting opportunities. So we get that uh, assessment process uh, done early. Obviously, resume construction is very important. So we'll help a student uh, articulate his or her background first on paper and then in person. And that comes through elevator pitch training, uh, networking. We teach you, yes, the on-campus search is important, but we also teach you the off-campus search. So we have a, a number of uh, tools and techniques that we teach teach you to fish, basically, mm-hmm. uh, as you go through. Um, and then with the resume, we very much believe in a realistic uh, simulation. We try and put you through as many reps as possible because the only way to get good at interviewing, or it's like public speaking or anything else, is you do it, you get feedback, you adjust, you do it again. Right. And it's an iterative cycle. And we want to put you through as many reps as possible. One of the things we'll say is train like you fight. We want to give you that realistic simulation because when you walk into the real interview, we want you to say, wow, this is much easier than what I actually trained for. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. Uh, we don't ever want you to walk out of an interview and go, wow, that was way harder than what I practiced. If that <laughs> happens, then we failed. Okay. Yeah. And then from that point, uh, you know, once you, when you have the job, then it's uh, or the offer is coming. How do I assess this offer? You know, I may find myself in a situation where I have one offer on the table with an expiring deadline. How do I weigh that against my other options? That coach is going to be the consultant all the way through the process end to end. If you're in a program with an internship, we're going to provide support for you through the internship to make sure you're successful on the back end and that uh, you perform at the maximum of your capabilities. And then as you roll into graduation, just as Lisa mentioned, we have that that circle of life is ideally what we're looking for is that uh, you're successful, you, you do well in your career and that you come back to us and say, okay, I need some talent. How can you help me? Yeah, this makes so much sense to me. And I, I, I do want to ask a kind of follow on. I mean, you know, this integration of kind of admissions right on into careers. And, you know, as you said, it's sort of, the, it, it makes a lot of sense, but was there any like reluctance? Like, you know, sometimes it's hard to make these kinds of moves within an institution, but did, you know, was everyone sort of like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Um, was there any kind of resistance to this innovation? Everybody, it makes sense to them in theory, right? And I imagine the listeners will say the same thing. Yeah. Like, okay, yes, this makes sense. Why would you not do this? It's the time factor. That's really the barrier more than anything else. Mm. The rubber meets the road when you're looking at your calendar for the week and you see, okay, I just got another admissions interview put on. I got another admissions interview put on. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got to be coaching these other students here. I've got uh, a prep session that I've got to work for our banking students coming up. But I'm getting these admissions interviews that tack on. That's, that's the challenging piece. However, what will happen over time is that you will see the results on the back end. You'll find that you're coaching fewer students later because those students are more likely to have achieved their career goals earlier in the program than they otherwise would have. So you're, you're investing on the front end to get that return. So until that return materializes, you know, you have to keep the faith, right? You have to, to go through this and say, you know, this, this is going to work and you have to commit to it. That is the other thing that I will say is you have to be able to, to commit for, for a two or three year process on this uh, because you are not going to see the outcomes fully happen until these students, if they're in a two-year program or even a three-year program, uh, graduate and, and are successful on the back end. So you have to commit mm. and just say, well, I, we've done this for six months. It's really hard and it's not working. Mm-hmm. 
you got to see it through. Yeah, makes sense. So um, we should have you come back in, in, a, in a little while too and, and talk again about, you know, all the, um, how, how this sort of pans out. But it just seems, like you said, so logical to me. Um, I did want to thank you both for making time to talk about this unique fusion of admissions and career services. But I also wanted to ask one more thing of Lisa, if you're willing. Um, I know you did your undergrad at SMU. And so I just wondered if you'd be willing to share a little bit about, you know, what's it like um, on campus and sort of just life in the program? Yes. Um, obviously, I wouldn't be back here if it, you know, if I didn't drink the Kool-Aid early in life. <laughs> uh, um, yes, I, I graduated a number of years ago and actually met my husband um, during my undergraduate time and at SMU. We got married on campus. Wow. One of those stereotypical um, you know, uh, couple stories, but, uh, yeah, married my college sweetheart. So SMU is very near and dear to my heart. Um, and for many reasons, uh, you know, the other piece is we're in the middle of a vibrant growing city. Uh, so I know that your audience draws from all over Yeah, and, um, I have to say, uh, you know, with a caveat that I am a Dallas native, but I did move away. I've lived abroad. I've lived um, in the East Coast. And what brought me back to the city is is the, the interconnectedness of the business school to the city of Dallas. Um, and we're at the heart of it. Uh, we're only a stone's throw away from the central business district. And for a lot of people who haven't been to Dallas may think it's cowboys and horses, but we're a... <laughs> We're a large, you know, cosmopolitan city um, with great food diversity. I'm a very active person too. So, um, you know, our partnerships with the city go beyond just the corporate partnerships. It's, you know, how we really are integrated with the, the city and the Metroplex itself. So, um, you know, life at Cox, if you're a student, um, you know, there's so many opportunities to connect with faculty um, in the classroom uh, with, you know, companies and alumni. So it all goes back to the full circle. So uh, that's a little bit about my experience and why I came back. And I've been here professionally for, um, it'll be 11 years here pretty soon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, what you're saying resonates, uh, you know, it just, we talk a lot on this show actually about geography being important in terms of where you go to school. And, you know, obviously Texas is such a big market and a magnet for so many different industries. And yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. And to the extent that a school can be really tied into the local business community, which is the case here with SMU and Dallas. It just um, makes it all the better. Um, yeah, I did want to thank both of you for joining us. Um, this has been really eye-opening for me. And I think, you know, hopefully our listeners really understand, you know, the importance of developing their goals and the fact that, you know, this stuff's happening earlier and earlier in the process these days. And that I always say to the extent that you can hit the ground running when you get to school and know exactly which opportunities you want to take advantage of, you're just going to be so much better off than if you're kind of, you know, drinking from the fire hose, if you will, and, and not sure like which direction you want to go in. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to thank you both. And, and, you know, Jason, appreciate all these insights. And, you know, it looks like you're overseeing a really interesting, innovative approach to, you know, marrying these two things. So yeah, thank you both so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Graham, thanks so much. The pleasure was mine. Um, so everyone, uh, stay tuned. We've got more episodes coming up. And please remember to rate and review the Clear Admit MBA Admissions podcast wherever you listen.